Welcome back to another episode of Am I Doing This Right? I'm Corinne Fox. And I'm Natalie McMillan. And we are best friends, confidants, millennials, and the hosts of Am I Doing This Right? A life how-to podcast from the perspective of non-experts. And each week we cover a new topic and we drink a new bottle of vino. Of vino. And this is an episode we've been wanting to do for a while. <gasps> yes. And also a guest we've wanted to have on for a while. Our first male guest, Our actually. first male guest, you guys. This week, we are talking how to recognize and combat depression with NAMIs, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illnesses, Chief Medical Officer and Board Certified Psychiatrist, Dr. Ken Duckworth, whom we love. We love. You're going to love him, too. You're going to love him, too. Oh, my too. gosh. So we're going to be talking with him about the signs and symptoms of depression, how seasonal depression works, how to combat depression around the holidays, mm -hmm. and Dr. Ken's upcoming book, You Are Not Alone. I'm very excited to discuss all of this with him. I am, too. But now, first, we got some housekeeping. We've got a little housekeeping. So... We've got a new newsletter. Yes, we've got a newsletter. It's Real Cutie Pie. And you can go ahead and sign up for it. It's a great time. If you go to our website, there's a little sign up link at the bottom. And you can just pop your little email you in. You stay in the know with all things you Am I? Yes. You know? we'll, we'll send you little recaps of the episodes. And then we'll think of some other fun things. We're going to throw a little fun yeah, surprises in little there. Little fun surprises. And we're not going to spam you guys. It's going to be. No, it's one, one email a week, yes, guys. It's very casual. <laughs> but we would love it if you joined us. Yeah. I feel like that's like an official indoctrination into the Am I community is joining yes. the newsletter. If you join you're the newsletter, an Am I. you're officially an Am I. You're a real one. <laughs> okay. But I think I should pour this little this little bevy here. Yes. And we also have the cutest little uh, champagne flutes. Champagne flutes. They're like little Great Gatsby looking glasses. So this is the Rosenbloom Bubbly Moscato Rosé. I can smell it like Almost across the table. Really? It's very fragrant. Oh, yeah. It's very fragrant. I'm oh, excited. To sorry. I was going to sip before you. Oh, no. Take a sip. No, I like to sip and then like look at you. And okay. Like okay. I'm going to take my little sippy. Okay. Interessante. We will definitely circle back. We're going to rate it at the end of the episode, but we're kind of like looking in each other's eyes like, hmm. <laughs> Damn, Papi Shio <laughs> Rampreed. Shio <laughs> Rampreed. <laughs> Dr. Ken's probably listening to this like, what are they talking about? Okay, we'll circle back on uh, this rosé at the end of the episode. But let's get into the topic that we're talking about, which is depression. Not, we're both advocates for mental health. Yep. I'm an ambassador for NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is where I was connected with Dr. Ken. And then Nat and I did an Instagram Live with him for... The Mental Health Coalition, uh, which is run through Kenneth Cole. But we're also both people who have suffered from depression, and we know firsthand how debilitating it can be and how hard it can be to overcome. And so we think it's really important for everyone to understand what depression truly is and how you can spot the signs and symptoms if you or someone else, someone you love, is suffering from it. And depression isn't just, you know, feeling sad. It takes many forms. It manifests in a lot of different ways. And I think Dr. Ken has a lot of the 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 tea the, the clini clinical tea yes for yes. us <laughs> yeah so I'm very excited to to talk to him and to get into it so I want to do a little intro on him yeah on Mr. Dr. Ken Duckworth he serves as the medical director for NAMI 
like we said, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. He is board certified by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology in adult child and adolescent psychiatry. He is also an assistant clinical professor at Harvard University Medical School and has served as a board member on the American Association of Community Psychiatrists. What hasn't he done? What hasn't he done? You throw Harvard in there. You throw Harvard? You drop the H-bomb? He might be our most expertise expert. He really might be. Far. He really might be. And he's coming out with a book, You're Not Alone, that is described as an authoritative yet compassionate guide to managing mental health challenges. Oh, I'm so excited. And I think that really describes Dr. Ken. He's authoritative yet Compassionate. compassionate for sure he's just a gem you're just i'm excited for everybody to meet him yeah so let's bring him on let's welcome dr ken hello dr duckworth should we call you dr ken or dr duckworth because <laughs> oh i know i'm a doctor just call me ken or dr ken thank you <laughs> okay because we were saying we're like you know we just call him dr ken by habit yeah but i wasn't yeah. sure if that's the right the right way to address you no we're good we're good. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. We actually spoke with you before. Natalie and I did uh, the one-to-one with the Mental Health Coalition and you, and that was such a great conversation. So when we were thinking about this episode, we were like, we have to have Dr. Ken back to talk about- Aww. No, we really, I mean, you were so you were so great and well-spoken, and obviously you are beyond, beyond uh, uh, certified yeah, to speak on this topic. Well, it's wonderful to be back, and thank you for all you're doing. Oh, of, of course. But first, I mean, we re- we just read your bio and you are, uh, I believe, is it double board certified or triple board certified? I was once triple boarded, but then I got too lazy to take the boards again. <laughs> so I'm an adult psychiatrist and a child and adolescent psychiatrist. I probably got triple boarded because I was insecure and I wanted to make sure I was okay. So I got, I did forensic training as well, which kind of means integrating with the courts and the legal system, but I let that lapse. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you're beyond certified for us. And I was curious what inspired you to become a clinical psychiatrist because when we spoke on our Instagram Live, you had previously mentioned uh, your father and how he was such a big inspiration to you. Yeah, you know, so now, thanks to people like you, we talk about mental health and we have conversations about it, podcasts, Instagram, TikTok, communities of support everywhere, right? It's fantastic. But back in the day, uh, nobody talked about this. And my dad was a particularly charismatic, loving, and fun person who had very bad bipolar disorder. And I pieced it all together. He probably had an episode of mania about every two or three summers and was hospitalized many times. So my dad would get very sick and then nobody would talk about it. So he disappeared to a state hospital for three months and we'd be like, nothing ever happened. Mm. And then he came back and it had the same quality. Like, why can't we talk about it? So my family's from Philadelphia. My dad had an episode and lost his job. And uh, the company said, it was Chef Boyardee. He was a Chef Boyardee salesman. They said, well, Duckworth, you screwed up one time too many. We need a man in Detroit, take it or leave it. So we moved to Michigan. And that's why I'm into polite driving, college football, and uh, public education, because I grew up in Michigan, right? And so, but what's interesting about that is I, even as a second grade kid, was trying to figure out what is the thing that is so powerful that it could move a family 400 miles, and you still couldn't talk about it. And the answer was a mental health condition. That was the answer. 
But because I couldn't articulate it, because we couldn't talk about it, he kept getting sick. And uh, I decided to go to medical school. There are no doctors in my family before me. Two of my daughters are in medical school, which does make you wonder about their judgment. But, you know, (laughs) I wanted to help him. And I also wanted to understand, like, what is this phenomena? And, uh, you know, I would say I was able to help him. And then over time, you know, the National Alliance on Mental Illness found me. That's my dog encouraging my connection to Dami in the background. Oh, I have a I have a puppy and she I mean, he does that all the time. <laughs> Susie's in favor of Nami. She always gives out a shout out. Every time, little grab, there we go. Yeah. Every time I see the word Nami. So it's a uh, I'm very fortunate to work for an organization that's about openness, sharing your story, sharing information. So my career has turned out to be quite beautiful. And that, you know, I became a doctor to help my dad. And now I'm the chief medical officer of the largest organization in the country. You know, that's for lived experience and family members. So it's pretty special. I feel very fortunate. Well, we feel very fortunate to be talking to you. Yeah, and way to take something that could have, I mean, mental health conditions affect so many families in different ways, but it's taking something that could have been this, and I'm sure there were hard times, but this thing that held you back or you had a lot of resentment towards with your father, and you really took that and and took this difficult experience and made such positive impacts from it. And I feel like you speak of your father so highly. And I mean, I think the conversations we've had about mental health in the past has been so negative, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be that, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Corinne, I learned that you could be a wonderful person with a terrible illness. Yeah. And that yes. they weren't the same thing. It wasn't the same phenomena. That was very powerful to me, but that was kind of in my DNA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I'd say I learned more from loving a wonderful person with a serious mental health condition than I did in medical school or training at Harvard or any of the other things I did. Now, I learned other things there. But I think the core thing I learned is what it's like to love somebody, how to talk to somebody, how to try to, you know, help them enjoy their strengths and the gifts they have and not just focus on their vulnerabilities. So it's been an education for me. And I could tell you about the book project a little later, but that all kind of grows out of this experience and the idea that listening to people who've lived with things is a whole nother way to think about learning. So for the book, I interviewed 120 people who have lived experience or their families. They use their names and they share what they've learned, whatever it is. And uh, whether it's faith or cognitive behavior therapy, a specific medication, becoming a peer specialist, finding a community, different things help people. And uh, so this book is an exploration of that. It's called You Are Not Alone. And the idea that you should be able to see yourself in this book. I have people of different backgrounds, races, ethnicities, gender identities, outcomes. Some people are doctors. Some people are disabled. Some people are musicians. And some people like me have no musical talent at all. (laughs) And the idea is, you know, you put all these people together. What you have is America. Yeah. These conditions impact millions of people. And I thought the idea behind the book was to share the first person lived experience, the family lived experience. And then because I'm NAMI's doc and everybody likes NAMI, I have all the best researchers in America answering common questions. Yes. You know, so 
um, questions that I get asked, but I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I do know the smartest people in the room. <laughs> and, you know, the head of the National Institute of Mental Health, the woman who invented the wellness recovery action plan, right? The person who invented motivational interviewing. How do you talk to a family member? Some of the leading thinkers in medication development. So uh, that's kind of the cool project behind the book. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. I'm so excited for for the book to come out. It It's still, you guys don't have a release date yet, right? About a year from now. About a year from okay. now. So NAMI has the copyrights. All the proceeds go to NAMI. So, you know, you don't have to worry about making me rich. You know, this is a love gift. I think like your podcast, it's a love gift. It's mission driven, right? And I just thought, you know, I should write this book and, uh, you know, give the copyright to NAMI and, you know, I'll be traveling around the country and I hope to come back to your Yeah, we'll have to have you back on when it's it's coming out so that we can remind all our listeners. It'll be about a year from now if everything goes great. Awesome. Well, I think we kind of want to get into a little bit of yeah. the of the sciencey aspect here. Yeah, let's go. I love science. <laughs> oh, so do we. And you know, we're kind of focusing this episode in particular on depression. And I definitely have also uh, have this shared experience with people with yeah. depression. I've suffered from it. But from a psychiatric point of view, what is it? Is it a chemical imbalance? Is it a negative thought cycle? Is it a kind of a combination of both? What do you see it as? So there's a couple of different hypotheses. We don't really use the term chemical imbalance anymore. Okay. Because I think there's enough evidence that it may be like a circuitry Mm. problem. It might be a neurochemical, neuroelectrical But of course, thought influences feeling, right? So this is why some psychotherapies like cognitive behavior therapy, you know, I could think, you know, I'm doing a terrible job on this podcast. This is the worst (laughs) interview they've ever had. I can't believe I let that board lapse and now I'm publicly humiliated that I'm not triple board. You could take your automatic negative thoughts and create a lot of negative feelings. Or you could say, isn't it wonderful to see the two of them again? All right, fine. So I let that board go. I'm not perfect, but you know, we're all doing the best we can. So how you think about things. So it's both a thought pattern and it's thought to have something to do with circuitry and chemical imbalances, but you, I don't really use the term chemical imbalance. I think it's too complicated for that. And I think it's honest to say, we truly don't know the underlying cause. I think that's the most honest statement. But we do know that some medications which impact the neurochemical junction inside your neurons can be effective. We also know that neurostimulation, like magnetic stimulation, that's a circuitry. I just heard about that the other day. I've never heard of that. I've just heard about that the other day for the first time. I had oh. never heard about the magnetic Me, treatment. I've never heard of that. Mm-hmm. I just heard that. So transcranial magnetic stimulation is this circuitry idea. And again, it's you know that's another way to conceptualize it. Could it be that there's circuits in the brain that are underperforming? The way your electrical system might not be giving you the best performance, right? And like, wait a minute, I think a couple of the circuits are down. So you get out in the basement, you you know, flip the circuit switches, right? Transcranial magnetic stimulation puts you essentially in the equivalent of a dental chair. And uh, they then, you know, take a a measurement outside your skull and they give you a repetitive magnetic stimulation 
And they do this for about 30 or 35 times over several weeks. And uh, it's FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, approved for treatment-resistant depression and treatment-resistant obsessive compulsive disorder, which means that an independent body said, okay, the circuitry idea has game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people come to me and they say, should I go and do transcranial magnetic stimulation? I said, well, the most benign thing you could do is psychotherapy. That's the least likely to have any complications, right? Medications, if you don't want to do psychotherapy, that might help with energy sleep, kind of the feeling of feeling like you're walking in molasses, the medicines might help with that, but they may not help with your thought patterns. That's why the combinations of medicine and psychotherapy are typically useful. Mm-hmm. Most people who get the transcranial magnetic stimulation called RTMS are always already getting medications and psychotherapy. So and then you have to figure out how to get your insurer to pay for it. Typically, they require you to have gone through a few hoops to, to get, get it. it. Yeah, that makes sense. You can get it, though. I mean, I know people who've gotten it paid for through their health plan. So you just kind of have to stay with it, which is one of the hardest things to say to a person with depression because <laughs> yes. they may not have the motivation to stay with things, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, it affects people in such different ways and yes. depression and it, it comes yes. out in different ways. I'm curious about some of the symptoms you think of depression that go unnoticed or unrecognized because people start to normalize living that way. Yeah. So let's just look at the criteria for major depression, right? So in the books, it's two weeks of problems with sleep, loss of interest, concentration, decreased energy, guilty, negative, hopeless thoughts, changes in appetite or weight loss, feeling slowed down or agitated and suicidal thoughts. So I think it's five of those eight symptoms. For more than two weeks. That's kind of the clinical definition of depression. And I would also observe, you know, you talk to any student nurse, uh, student nurse at the health center in any high school or middle school, kids with belly pain, Hmm. kids who are presenting with recurrent headaches, like that's a whole communication things that kids can't quite articulate their experience, but they're expressing distress. Another thing with teenagers in particular is anger, irritability, Mm -hmm. grumpiness, but like real anger, real irritability and real grumpiness. And this is something you also see sometimes in adults. So not everybody looks quite the same. Some people can be very agitated. There's a famous uh, legal case, which I learned about in my, when I was board certified (laughs) of a man who was so agitated and depressed. uh, He literally wore out. Uh, a set of shoes at a hospital, walking back and forth, you know, uh, up and down the hallway. He was so agitated. Literally, he wore through his shoes, like his feet were coming out. So it's like a classic expression of something you might not think. We usually think of being slowed down. Yeah. Um, You know, the feeling of walking through sand or molasses, right? That's a common thought. So I would say the physical expression of distress, stomach aches, headaches, very common in kids, adolescents, but some adults too. And anger, irritability are things that, you know, may not be commonly associated with it in most people's minds. Yeah. I have never considered that because I guess I've never experienced that. You know what I mean? And so this is, it's great to share like this because I'm thinking, wow, 
it's just crazy how it manifests so differently in, in other people. Yeah, for different people, yeah. for yeah. sure. So we've all known sadness. Sadness is not the same as a clinical depression. Yes. I think that's important to know. That's important. And, and yeah. also, like you were saying, like that two-week marker is really, you know, you're sad. That's like emotion, a feeling, and that comes and goes. And But if it's like, okay, this is a persistent thing that I'm experiencing for weeks on end that's not going away, that's not tied to grief or anything. And this is a tricky concept because all of us have felt sad and went for an exercise workout, played basketball, went to a movie, took a two-hour nap and felt somewhat lighter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So people can get very confused by that. Oh, why don't you snap out of it? You know, there's nothing wrong with you. I felt like that. I got over it. You know, so I think it's easy to generalize from the idea that while you have felt better from sadness, that might be a different experience than a major depressive episode. Yeah. My dog seems to have a lot of thoughts about this <laughs> particular activity. So, you know, speaking of sadness and all this, the yeah. holidays are coming up and, you know, it's always kind of seen as this joyous time when mm. in reality, I think a lot of people, you know, there's family situations, there's financial situations that people can kind of get very down and potentially even depressed. So how would you suggest to somebody who might be feeling that way how to kind of navigate it? I guess beyond kind of keeping their own tabs, right? On this two-week well, you marker. know yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You know how you've gotten through it before. Um, what I'd say is, you know, try not to believe too much about what the media tells you about the holidays. Mm-hmm. There are rel- relatively few idyllic families, and even those people selling cars with those giant bows on top, <laughs> those people aren't in a family. They're <laughs> actors. Don't forget that, right? Like, you know, families are complicated for a lot of us. They're, yeah. you know, interesting. Uh, you know, I lost both my siblings in the past 10 years. Oh, I'm sorry. And, so sorry. Uh, the saddest time of me is for me is November. Their birthday happens to be this week. And my brother always hosted Thanksgiving. And, you know, so it's, you know, this is kind of a season of loss for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that I find ways to honor my brother and sister this time of year. And I do different little rituals about that involving college football or taking certain walks or listen to certain music that they loved, you know, and again, this is a way I soothe myself with this particular loss. Every person is different. Every situation is different. I think the key is to figure out what's worked for you before, mm-hmm. right? If talking to your uncle Bob is not helpful because <laughs> he has extremely strong political opinions, you know, you might just want to say hi to Bob and then, you know, cut the other direction. Right. <laughs> right. And, that's self-care, right? Yes, yes. It still might be stressful. And Bob's going to do his thing. You're not going to change Bob's mind. I'm here to tell you that right now. That's very true about my Uncle Bob. <laughs> that is very true. I do have an Uncle Bob. And you're not going to change actually, his mind. I'm not I quite do. that good. Psychiatrists <laughs> cannot read minds. I want to make sure that's really clear. <laughs> we are good, but we're not that good. So I think a lot of it is, you know, knowing yourself, thinking about what's been effective for you. Staying off the New Jersey Turnpike whenever possible, right? <laughs> you guys are on the West Coast, right? Yeah. I have no idea what that means. So it's the five, right? Try to stay off the uh, five, yeah, yeah. right? You know, like you know, be mindful of you know how you're 
trying to make your connections. You know, you can yes. enjoy yourself. Keep an eye on your own. Keep keep an eye on if yourself. Recovery. Be mindful of the kind of environments you're going into. You know, if you're in recovery from addiction, mm-hmm. you know, these are just things you need to kind of plan ahead. You may be able to talk about them in advance. But for a lot of people, I think it is a hard time. The days are also shorter here in Boston. In Boston, you guys are in California. You don't even know what short <laughs> days are. So, you know, it gets dark about 4.30 now after daylight savings time. Yeah. And it's like, what? Day shot already? And so, you know, for those of us who live north, not a problem in Los Angeles, not a problem in Miami. I will you know, say it, dark. it does get dark at 4.30. Is it cold? And also, yeah, are we snowed in? No, no. but it is getting no, dark. Does, but I, I was going to ask you about seasonal depression and how light no. affects our mood and maybe people who aren't clinically depressed just experiencing seasonal depression or is seasonal depression clinical depression? So they now call it major depression with seasonal affective component. Okay. Right? Interesting. Right. So this is a subtype of major depression. And the idea, and this is something you should definitely be able to notice the patterns of. Like, you know yourself. Yeah. Like some people know about mid-November, I start to melt. And by February, if I haven't gone, you know, to a Caribbean island, you know, I'm really in trouble. Mm -hmm. And they go for two weeks and they get as much sunlight as they can. And, you know, for people who can afford that and can travel. That's a great thing to do because it's giving them more light. Mm -hmm. So in addition to the stresses that you described, you know, about family and uh, the holidays and the mythic family that none of us belong to. None (laughs) of us belong to that family with the giant bow on top of the BMW. (laughs) Those people don't even know each other. right? They met that day on a set. Like, I just want to emphasize that. Um, light, Light is important for human beings. And so, you know, what I say to people is try to get out during the daytime. You're going to walk your dog. You heard my barking dog. Go out during the day. Mm -hmm. Get the little bit of light that there is into your brain. Um, It doesn't really work to watch more TV and turn on a few lights. If you need light, there's certain kinds of high-powered lights that work for seasonal affective disorder. So if someone has made that diagnosis, you can get your health insurance plan to pay for those lights. Oh. So they are a special kind of light. So it's not like turning on two more uh, lamps. That doesn't help. <laughs> you know, you kind of got to go deep into the brain structures where light cues are noted and taken in. So for people who have seasonal affective disorder, these are lights that you put on your desk. They're pretty dang bright. I'm not going to kid. And you uh, put them on in the morning and you could be drinking your coffee and reading the paper or chilling or doing whatever you're doing, but you're getting the light into the, into your brain. We also know this is effective because a few people have gotten manic from lights. So just as a few people who get antidepressants become manic. So, you know, that's another reason to to believe this is an effective, this is not just placebo, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's really great to have more light. Everybody likes more light, right? The idea is you get more light and a few people who are bipolar can actually be flipped into mania. So just be mindful of that seasonal affective disorder can happen in people with bipolar disorder. You know, I look back on my dad's experience. He got sick every, every other summer. So it was high light cues that That were a trigger for him. I don't think he was ever in the hospital in the wintertime in my whole life. So that is so fascinating. Yeah. 
Right. So again, a lot of this is pattern recognition. Like, okay, what's the pattern of this person's vulnerability? Is there a seasonal component or not? How does light work into it? I can't say, but I'm going to say, you know, most June 21st, the longest day of the year, my dad was in a state hospital. And, you know, if you looked at December 21st, the shortest day of the year, my dad was never in the hospital. He's always around for Christmas and Thanksgiving. And he loved those holidays. Like he was into it. So what does that tell me? Well, he had a seasonal component, but it was a different problem. Right. It was the other way around. It yeah. was the other way around. And this is why, you know, the individual experience is so important and understanding your own patterns matters. Yes. Right? So, yeah. you know, had I known now what I knew when I was 15, every April, we'd call a family timeout. Hey, 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 summer's coming. We all love the seashore. Everybody likes to go to the beach. We have this other thing that happens in the summertime every other year or every third year. Can we talk about that? Oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah, we couldn't do that. And so our, our inability to communicate, you know, was so bad. I had to become a psychiatrist to understand it. So for people like you running podcasts, having these open discussions, you're helping a lot of people, you know, pursue other dreams. So they don't have to do what I did. <laughs> I actually have a question off that because yeah. I think a lot of what people need is to learn how to communicate about their mental health and also how to communicate with others. And if for our listeners, if they have someone in their life, maybe not themselves, that they see, you know, suffering, um, you know, from what they suspect as depression, do you have, um, you know, a script or a way that they could communicate to somebody? I mean, obviously, you can't help somebody who doesn't want to help themselves. Right. I'm sure that's, but is there a way or a best practice for, you know, reaching out to a loved one that seems depressed? So I have Bill Miller, who invented the field of motivational interviewing, answering this question in the book. And if you're interested, uh, look up Bill Miller, University of New Mexico. He invented the idea of motivational interviewing, which is the question of how do you talk to somebody who you know he needs help? And he says, when you look at them and you say, you need help, what they say is, no, thank you. I don't need help. He describes this process where there's like a committee inside of all of our hearts and minds. And when you push on one side of the boat, they go the other way. Right. Mm -hmm. Ken, you shouldn't drink so much coffee. Oh, yes, I'll drink all the coffee I want. <laughs> right? So you don't come right at it. So his first that's called the so-called writing reflex. You don't lean on one side of the committee because that gets the other side of the committee more active. Instead, you kind of come alongside the person and try to listen to what they are noticing isn't working. Mm. So now you're into the Venn diagrams. So you notice you're not sleeping well, and I notice you're probably clinically depressed, mm. right? So what do I focus on? Telling you that you're depressed? No, I focus on sleeping because sleeping is something that you see that I see. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. might be helpful with you with sleeping? Would you like to go for a walk with me? In the afternoon, sometimes that tires people out. I know you're taking sleeping pills. That's usually not a good long-term strategy. Could we talk to your primary care doctor together? Sleeping could be an indication of another vulnerability, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. This kind of thing is where Bill Miller, you know, who invented a whole field called motivational interviewing. It's a brilliant field. And uh, there's tons of people trained in this whole, it's a whole communication strategy. But it doesn't start with, I think you have X. Yeah, and the right. And yeah, says, <laughs> I don't have X. I'm going to drink all the coffee I want. Yes. Because I can. Right. So the idea is, you know, well, 
what is the vulnerability that the person's expressing? Right. Mm-hmm. That's the purple in the Venn diagram of what they see and what you see. And then you try to grow that a little with them. It's the strength of your relationship, not the strength of your argument. Yeah. Yes. That gets results. They know you love them. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, especially because depression and well any mental health problem is so stigmatized so you know if if you are uncomfortable with it and somebody comes to you and says oh i think you're depressed then that might not be received very well and i think that's why it's important to have these conversations yeah and to say like hey you know we all know people or we personally suffer from these things and just be very open and honest about how it affects us and well it creates communication pathways. Yes. So you're too young to be parents, but someday you might be parents. <laughs> and if you have a mental health vulnerability in your family, this is a tremendous advantage. Because you can say, hey, by the way, just want to let you know A, B, and C are in our family, right? And uh if you ever have those, we can talk about that. Like I know a little bit about that. I saw it, you know, my family didn't always deal with it the best way. What I think is really important to be able to talk about it and problem solve together and remember that, you know, love is the key to the family and communication is really important. The big advantage is you can, you have a natural entree, just like, you know, family has heart disease, right? Mm -hmm. And so you just weave it into the family history. (laughs) People need to know their family history. Yeah, yeah. Lot, so much. And a lot of families have mental health. A lot of families have addiction. A lot yeah. of families have people who've died by suicide, which is a proxy either for mental health or addiction in most cases. And yeah. the ability to talk about that conveys to the child, oh, this is one of the topics that's on the table. Oh, okay. They might not bring it up for four and a half years, but they will remember that this is something that can be talked about. Yes. Hey, mom mentioned that. I was very blessed in that sense. And just full transparency, my my grandfather committed suicide. And so uh, oh, it was it was always a conversation on the table, though. And my mom okay. struggled with anxiety. And so she was always she was very open about it. And so all of these things were brought up to us uh, growing up. And how did you experience that? You know, I've never had a problem talking about it because it was very normalized. I mean, obviously, suicide's not normalized, but the conversation around mental health and its real implications. And my mom always also has said, you know, so I have type 1 diabetes. And it's like, nobody would say, you shouldn't be on insulin, you know? (laughs) You know what I mean? So some people need medications for their mental health. And it's just as important. You know, you can lose your life if you're not on on them. So right. I think it's important to just kind of talk about all of Karina, it. I remember you got uh, CBT workbooks at age 14. Did I make that up? Uh, no, you, you did not. Um, no. Yeah. It's such a remarkable fact that it's impossible to forget. Yeah. Right? You're one of the most proactive, engaged people I'd ever met. And that has to happen in the context of a family where that feels safe. Yeah. Mm. I, when I was experiencing anxiety um, at 14, I went straight to my parents. It was like, I'm not feeling well. I, you know, what can we do? And they didn't really have a lot of experience, but we tried a bunch of stuff and we went to therapists. And and then I don't know why I, I had that in me, but I was like, I really want to make sure that this doesn't hold me back in life. So I was doing work, but I have the workbooks in my old childhood 
bedroom of me oh, like wow. in 14, like writing out my thought processes and like, you know, questioning my thoughts and are these real and is this a real fear or not and things like that at an early age. And anyways, that's what has led me to NAMI, obviously. Well, you both grew up in pretty healthy households in that regard. In that We're regard. Open. <laughs> yes. Communication yes. is open, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, before we we have to get off with you, I do want to leave our listeners with some type of action plan. We talked about the different treatment options for depression briefly, but if someone is listening right now and they're experiencing depression, what would you say is their first step in the right directions towards treatment and, and recovery or feeling better? Yeah. Well, if you're trying to ask the question, I happen to like these online screening tools. Okay. Okay. Now, if you have a primary care doctor or a nurse, do it with them. But some people can't get to a primary care doctor or a nurse, or they don't have access or they don't have insurance, right? So go to Mental Health America, take a screening test. And the screening tests are validated, free, tens of thousands of people take them. And you're like, oh, okay, my score is actually pretty high. I need to deal with this. So then the question is, can you get an evaluation? So therapists are super busy, but don't give up, right? If you have health insurance, call the number on the back of your card and say, hey, I need help. I'm paying you guys to give me help. And they're like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm supposed <laughs> to help you. Then they will help you find a clinician. Don't take the first no. And I know that's hard when you're depressed. Yeah. yeah. You have to have some motivation for advocacy. The first thing is to, you know, find out where you're, if you had a recurrence or a new onset, a screening test is a good way to do it. If you have a primary care doctor, go talk to them, mm -hmm. talk to them and say, you know me, right? I've yeah. been here before. I think I'm having A, B, and C. So that's the first thing is to know the ballpark. Find out if you've had a history of bipolar in your family. That might make antidepressants a little more complicated. Mm -hmm. Some people don't need medications. They can do it with psychotherapy and aerobic exercise, right? Yeah. Like aerobic exercise and psychotherapy is enough for some people. And I want to emphasize that, you know, this is not, you know, put, put a Prozac into the water supply. The idea is you figure out what's good for you. All interventions have side effects. Figure out which ones is the best match for you. Don't be afraid to join a community of people. NAMI is a community of people. The Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance is a community of people. Like one pathway to do this is to not feel alone. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the NAMI book is called You Are Not Alone. The idea is that millions of people are going through these things. You are not profoundly abnormal, out of the range of the bell curve. You're part of the human condition. These conditions are common impacting about one in five. And for some time in the pandemic, the stats look more like two in five. Wow. Wow. More people with depression and anxiety, post-traumatic stress. You know, it was a rough year. Yeah. yeah. 2020 was a pretty rough year. So those are some thoughts. Yeah. And the, to the you are not alone point, I think it also ties into the treatment plans because you're not alone in whichever one you find works for you. You know, if if you think, oh, maybe I'm not doing enough or whatever, whatever works for you, somebody yeah. else is doing it and it's working for them also. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. About half of people will only have one episode in a lifetime. But if you're one of the half of people who've had one before, reflect on what was helpful before. Mm -hmm. And was it yeah. medications? Was it exercise? Was it psychotherapy? Was it the magnet treatment? What was it that was helpful the last time? 
might be helpful this time. time. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dr. Ken, we love you so much. We really appreciate your time. We're so looking forward to the book. We'll actually we'll have you, we'll back, have on you back before the book comes out to talk more in depth oh, about big it. Big fun, big fun. You guys are a pleasure. Oh no, you're <laughs> so so great, and thank you. And I love working with you and Nami, and you guys are doing incredible work. So whatever you know, I can do we're to help, doing great work together. <laughs> you know, this is a cause. This is a mission. And, you know, if you want to get involved with NAMI or any of the other organizations that are working this problem, you know, you'll be greeted with open arms. Yeah. There's a lot of people who want to change this conversation. You don't have to suffer alone anymore. So thank you both. I hope you have a wonderful day. You too. You too. Have fun with your dog. (laughs) All the best. My barking dog. Take care. All right. bye. 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 we said what a gem i love him so much me too he's the best he's the best and i feel like you said you said it at the top like uh authoritative yet yet compassionate yes like he's so he has so much knowledge but he does it in a very way and it's because he has personal experience i think with mental health yes he's not intimidating about it no but he's a he's a clearly a brilliant man Yes. And he's just very, very humble and very, very cutie pie. Very cutie pie. We love Dr. Ken. So we hope you learn more about depression, how it affects people differently, and ways to combat it. And we are so lucky, like we just said, to be able to talk to Dr. Ken today because he really is an expert in all things mental health. And we are going to link to uh, NAMI's website, which is NAMI.org, and then all the other mental health resources that he mentioned. Some of them were like, uh, I think it was like mental health. Yeah, he Somewhere mentioned to, something. to take the quiz and everything. Uh-huh. If you check out our show notes, you can find all the resources there. Or if you sign up for the newsletter. newsletter. <laughs> Don't forget our newsletter, guys. <laughs> get a little click on that link. Just straight into your <laughs> inbox. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's circle back on this wine now. Wait, um, can the, you remind us what we're drinking? Yes, it's the Rosenbloom Bubbly Moscato Rosé. I'm not mad at her. I am not mad at her at all. Me neither. So let's introduce our hottie of the week, who you suggested, Nat. Yes. Yeah, so our hottie this week is Michael Phelps. Because... Olympian. Uh, well, an Olympian, number one, but big mental health advocate. I didn't really know this until you told me yeah, about it. Yeah, he's a big mental health advocate. He's very open about having depression, and he actually has an HBO documentary called The Weight of Gold that highlights the mental health challenges faced by athletes during and then especially after their careers. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough profession to have if you're if – you're, I mean, and he's Michael Phelps who has, like, longevity, but a lot of athletes, it's like you have a prime – very short. Very short window. So Mr. Michael Phelps. Mr. Michael Phelps. One to Mr. Michael Phelps. What are we rating this rosé? Mm-hmm. Bubbly Moscato rosé. This is – it's sweet. Her. It's very because sweet. it's Moscato. I love it. I love it too. Is it a Michael out of Michael? I think it's a Michael Phelps out of Michael Phelps. Cheers. Cheers. I just I just feel like this is a winner. We've had a couple big winners. You know what? Okay, this goes back to my hypothesis that we always say we don't like rosés, but we I think we do. Do we? I like this one. She bubbly, she's sweet. I'm like, do I pour myself another glass? Again, linked in the show notes if you guys want to pick up a bottle. Because it's delicious. Because it's delicious. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
All right, so this is the part of the show where we play a little wrap-up game, and this week we're doing our BFF quiz, which I honestly, I don't know what that is. It's the one where we choose a number, and it's a random question about the other person. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to let you lead it. Okay. Because I can't remember ever doing this, which we, we've done it a few times now. We've done it maybe two or three times. Oh, okay. It's not cool. one of our, like, super regulars, <laughs> but hey. Also, I'm just going to say that Corinne we, and I we almost- We report some We report it. It's that good. It is that good. We, we, we never really do that. I don't think we've ever done it. I don't think we've ever done it. This is really a star. (laughs) Okay, so you're going to pick a number between 1 and 40. Okay, I'm going to do 10. 10. This one's tough, too, because, yep, you've, you've already done that one. How is that? Po- it's so weird how like you. We choose the same one. Yeah. We've done this before. Because again, I don't remember ever playing this. Yeah. I'm going to do 20. 20. All right. Fingers crossed. Oh, hmm. This is interesting. What's the worst thing that's ever happened to me? Oh, I can't say this on the podcast. Really? <laughs> I don't know. Do you know what the worst thing that's ever happened to you is? There's like a few. Let's do 21. Okay. I just don't, you know, I feel yeah. like. I don't know. I, I can feel... think of horrible things that have happened to you. I don't yes. want to say them on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. This is a fun one. If I were a board game, which would I be? Oh, so I'm just going to say this because I want to confirm that I know you. Uh-huh. You love dominoes. <gasps> I love dominoes. You love dominoes. It's not a board game, though. But so, it counts. Oh, no, that's not what I'm going with. Oh, okay. Because I'm going to do a board game. Okay. And I was like, I only know Monopoly in life. Uh-huh. And then I thought, no, that's Candyland. Oh, my God. I am so Candyland. Like, even the the board's kind of chaotic. Yes. Has a lot. Exactly like me. Has a lot going There's on. There's a lot happening. <laughs> There's a lot of – that was my favorite game growing up. Really? Yes. You're also diabetic. You I, have to have candy you all know, the time. It's just – and I love candy. Yeah. I love sweet things, which is probably why I love this, this <laughs> bevy so much. To the, to the Moscato. I'm just going to take a sip. Okay, I feel really proud that of myself. That was amazing. Wow. Those okay. were both spot. Wow. I'm ten very impressed. That was, a, that was a 10 out of 10. Okay, so you choose one through... One through 40. One through 40. I'm just going to do 40. I almost did that. Um, okay, it says, if we'd met earlier, what would our relationship have been like then? If we'd met earlier, um, well... I mean, we met when we, we met were... We met when we were children, <laughs> essentially. 14. How much earlier? So I can answer this, but I'm not going to. Because you were more of a narc and I was like more of a just like a rebel without a cause. I mean, like, (laughs) let's just go back. Let's circle back on the snakes thing. We wouldn't have. You wouldn't have loved my snake birthday. No. But I think you would have maybe came to it. I don't think you would have liked it. No. You might have had Connie come get you. Yeah. But... I think we would still be friends. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It would just be a different a different dynamic. Yeah. I feel like we met exactly when we needed to meet. Yes. I agree. Should we do one more or we want to wrap it up? Let's do one more. Okay. Pick a number. 23. 23. If we were stuck on a desert island, why would I be an asset? Um, well, first of all, we wouldn't kill each other because we would be totally fine for years and years on end. We would, <laughs> we would never argue. Very much fine. <laughs> I feel like, 
I just feel like you'd be an asset because we could just, we could like cast away, you know, build the little thing. Yeah. But again, no arguments. We'd be really good about it. Be we'd split the time. Who's going to build the raft today? Yeah. And then I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like we'd really co-align. And if we had to die together, we'd be fine. I think it'd be fine. <laughs> it might be kind of fun. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> it might it'd be a good time. Yeah. <laughs> we, we try to make everything a good time, including death. <laughs> Which we have died together. We have died together, <laughs> if you remember from a few episodes ago. Okay. Um, one through 40. One through 40. 38. 38. 38. If I have one hour to spend $5,000, where would I go? Hmm. hmm. Let's see. One hour. That's for a f- tricky one. I don't even know. It's a tricky one because it's like... Hmm. Because you don't really like lo- like big, lofty. It's not like there's one thing. No. You like a lot of little sm- – like you would drop some coin at a, at a nice coffee shop. You would <laughs> go to Mikey's Car Wash, which we That's love. what I'm saying. I would like go around town. Yeah, you'd just... like go around doing things. But I guess just this has nothing to do with your personality because your personality is much more of a like little-y, little things that you curate. Yes. But you did say you want this big Mac. Oh, I do want monitor? this m- m- massive, the gigantic Mac. Mac yes, computer. I would actually get that probably. And so that might be five grand in an hour. Oh, for sure. So, but I think I'd be like a mad woman driving to different places to get different things. I agree. Oh, you know what? It'd actually make me anxious. I would hope that never happens to me. Yeah, this <laughs> would not be good for her. But I will say, if if you could just go ball out mm-hmm. in a, any store i'm gonna say it's paper source oh my god i would lose my shit in paper source. she could probably drop five grand in paper source oh easy you should you should get a franchise you should just be open a fran- up one yeah. down the street from me you should well that would be in the works guys but <laughs> <laughs> that's our episode thanks for listening don't forget to rate and review the podcast and join the newsletter newsletter go to our website am i doing this right pod.com to join and we'll be back next week with another episode love you bye love you guys